0: Thank you for that mercy that rewrote our life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for taking time to be merciful to people like us. Lord, we thank you for loving us. And we thank you, God, for your mercy tonight. God, I praise you for what you've done in us, Lord. And Lord, we praise you, God that we can trust whatever happens tomorrow, that you'll be faithful in it. Lord, we ask tonight for your anointing upon this word. Lord, I ask for that anointing, God, to preach and teach as you desire. And Lord, we ask, we all ask for that anointing, that we can hear and receive all that the Spirit is speaking to us tonight. And Lord, we ask it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Everybody says, Hallelujah. You know, whenever you begin to talk about Jonah, one of the things that everybody begins to think about is the fish. And and, and a lot of people miss just the magnitude of the story of Jonah. The story of Jonah is about God's mercy. We're just singing about God's mercy. It's a story of God's mercy. You know, whenever you begin to think about God's mercy, you have to think about someone that's kind of squandered the mercy. And I always go back and I think about the, the prodigal son. I always go back and I think about this young man that had, he was in his father's house and he had everything he could ever ask for. But he went and squandered his whole inheritance and defiled the name of his father. And he went and defiled his nation as he worked in the pig pen. And, and, and it was a, a, a work of God. It was a, a work that happened because he said, you know what? It's better for me to go be a servant in my father's house than to be here. And, you know, I remember that. I remember whenever I realized how many of you know, this is why we preach the the, the way that we do. Because people need to realize, Right. That you're, you're not right with God until you come and be born again. No matter how many times you go to church, no matter how many songs you sing, until you've been born of the Spirit of God, you're not right with God. The Word of God says the law is perfect for the converting of the soul. So we preach the way we do. You see, I remember a time, and I remember... Oh, wow, I'm not right with God. I need His mercy. And I remember thinking, if I could just be a servant, I'll be the last one in. I don't care. I could be the gardener, the plumber, whatever the Lord wants me to do. I'll be the last one in if He'll just show that mercy to me. And I believe that this prodigal son, he felt the same way. He said, if God would just show me that mercy, you know, if the Father would show me that mercy, I'll be a servant for Him. How can you go from a son to just going to be a servant? Because... He, he, he thought he just messed everything up. Well, the story, and I'm not going to belabor it, but the story is he goes back to the father, and, and the father receives him, kisses him, puts on his robe, and puts the ring on his hand and kills the fatted calf, and all the house is overjoyed because one of God's children has come home. That's the moral of the story. But that elder brother, that elder brother said, Ah, oh. Oh, so now we're letting we're, we're now we're letting the we're letting the drunks come into the church and, and get saved. Now we're letting, you know, these kinds of people in and that kind of stuff. Don't you know who they are? Don't you know where they've been? God does. And God's got a place for them at that cross. At that cross. See God God invites all people to come to the cross die to self, receive new life in Christ, and be changed. No matter how long the laundry list of our past is, that opportunity is available as long as there's breath in the body. I believe God is reaching out because the Word of God says that He is not willing that any perish. God's not willing that any perish. Well, the book of Jonah is really dealing with Mercy and redemption and we always think of the big fish, but one of the things that we see is that there was a people God wanted to redeem. There was a people that God wanted to redeem. I think about like this generation right now. There's a people out there God wants to redeem. And I believe he's going to do it with or without you, with or without me, with or without us, God's gonna do something great in the last days. In the book of Joel, we see that there's gonna be a latter rain come with that former rain. And when that latter rain comes, there's gonna be miracles and signs and wonders. There's going to be a move of God like never before. And I'm not talking about just this decision, hold my hand, squeeze my hand, raise your hand. I'm talking about people repenting on their face, crying out to God for mercy and forgiveness, and getting radically and wonderfully saved by the Spirit of God. I'm not talking about a worship, a, 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 a worship marathon that never ends. I'm talking about people that hear the word of God and come running and come running to that cross to receive forgiveness for their sins, to receive new life, to be born by the spirit of God. Who they were matters not. Who he is matters most. And if they'll hear that word. I believe when that, when that latter rain comes, there's going to be a harvest of souls. How many of you believe there's going to be a harvest of souls? It's going to be a harvest of souls. In Jonah chapter number four, verse number seven, it says, but God prepared a warm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd, that it withered. What's the purpose of the worm? Can you imagine? I mean, God, God, is, God can do anything. And in the middle of the story of Jonah, God prepares a worm. Can you imagine how that went down? All right, earthworm, I got something I'm cooking. You're on deck. God prepares a worm. Because God's got a problem with the gourd. Because God's got a problem with Jonah. And see, Jonah was not happy that God was redeeming a people. Jonah would have rather played tic-tac-toe. Jonah would have rather played Monopoly. Jonah would have, would, have rather, uh, would, have, would have rather watched a movie. Jonah would have rather done anything than to see God save a people. Jonah is a prophet of God. He's a man of God. But there's something he did not want people redeemed, people saved. Now, the thing is, is that this this worm that God raised up, I I believe this right now. I believe that God is sending out worms in the church to destroy the gourds that we've raised up. Because we've not been about the Father's business. I'm going to show you this. You know, Jonah, and we know the story, God sent Jonah to Nineveh and he didn't want to go, so he went into the fish and the fish swallowed him up. and Then he finally goes to Nineveh. And if you'll look with me in verse 5 of chapter 3, it says, the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. For the word of for the word came unto the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne. He laid his robe from him, covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his noble saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hand. Who can tell if God will turn and repent, turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God, look, God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil. And God and he had said that he would do unto them and he did it not. Now, I want to just stop right there. This is the backstory. This is what we want. We want A nation to turn back to God. We want God to receive an inheritance among every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And if you don't, you need to go back to square one. The closer you get to God, the closer you'll get to his mission. Jesus said he came to seek and save the lost. If your mission is not to seek and save the lost, you're on the wrong mission. And the devil's done a really good job about getting the church wrapped up in wrong missions. You might be like, well, pastor, I'm not a preacher. Yeah, but we've all got the same mission. We've got different gifts. We've got different callings, but we've got the same Lord. And his mission has changed not. Why did he give us the baptism of the Holy Ghost? So that we can be empowered. Why? So that we can be a witness. Why do we have the gifts of the spirit, prophecy, tongues, knowledge, wisdom? Why do we have gifts of healing? So that we can be a witness that people can come to faith in Christ. Why? Because his mission is to seek and save the lost. Jonah preaches to Nineveh and Nineveh repents. I believe his sermon was probably like, you know, about as powerful as a three point sermon about nothing. It was just, uh, you know. If y'all don't repent, you're going to die. See you later. But it, it, it carried an anointing on it because God intended it. And they repented. Jonah got upset about it. And here's the thing. When you're not on the same page as God, You know, I love married life. I love being with my wife. But, you know, there's times that you get on the wrong page. I thought you were going to do I thought I was going to do it. What, what did you do this? And you you got to kind of, okay, let's get on the same page here. Let's clear the air. you got to clear the air and get on the same page. And you know, in, in, in the church, we're supposed to be on the same page as God. What's his page? John 3, 16. God so loved the world. Yeah, the same world he's going to send to hell, he loves. And he sent the son so that if they would turn and believe, they could be saved. You see, the thing is, is, is Jonah got on a different page than God. And many people in the church world have gotten on a different page than God's on. And what happens is when you get on a different page than God, you'll start getting bitter about God's things. And you'll start getting fascinated with the things that God's not even in. You see, when when Jonah saw that Nineveh repented... He went outside the city. He didn't rejoice. He didn't praise God. He didn't say hallelujah. He didn't say now this is what you need to do. It says he went out of the city. And look what it says here. It says in in verse uh, number five of chapter four. Verse number five of chapter four says, So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. I believe that Jonah, he said, they don't mean it. They don't mean it. I, I'm, I'm just going to sit back. I'm going to watch. How many of you know some religious folks like this? I'm, I'm going to wait till they make one wrong move. I'm going to wait till they slip up one time and I'm going to go run, tell God like he doesn't see it. Ah, see, they didn't say hello to me. I knew they didn't love me. Ah, see, they didn't do what I thought they would do. I knew they were false, right? He was waiting on, I believe he went outside the city and he was watching. This is that religious zealot. Come on. Come on, you know a sister or brother like that. Hopefully you're not like that, but we all know somebody like that because I believe the church has been bound by this, what I'm about to share with you. I knew they didn't mean it. I knew they didn't mean it. You know, I thank God so much. I didn't have somebody watching me like a hawk, like Jonah was inevitably watching Nineveh. Because, you know, when I got saved, I didn't have it all together. It's a process. It's learning how to walk. It's learning how to hear His voice. It's learning that walk of obedience. And we're all the time growing. Paul said he lets go of those things behind, and he reaches forth to those things ahead. And this is the, the process that you're supposed to be on. You see, when you get like, like Jonah is, what I'm about to share with you, you've done let go of that process. You're either holding on to something back there or you're not pressing forward anymore. You're just watching. Watching for people to misstep. So he, it says that he went out of the city. He, he wanted to see what they would become. Look at verse number six. It says, The Lord God prepared a gourd. That's the gourd. Now, in the next verse, we saw that God prepared a worm. This one, it says, God prepared a gourd. God prepared a gourd and it made it to come over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. What grief? Why was Jonah grieved? Because people were repenting. Yes, he had that elder brother syndrome of the prodigal story. Why did Jonah have grief? Because things weren't going the way he thought they should go. How many of you in here kind of in that same vein? This is not how it's supposed to be. And things didn't go the way that Jonah thought. He was grieved because God was working. Man, how can we get on the wrong page so quickly? Jonah, sitting there with that religious eye, waiting on someone to misstep, he's no longer loving what God loves. He's no longer hating what God hates. He's no longer purposed in his heart to to follow God's will. What is he doing now? He's got a religious eye. And God gives him a gourd. Beautiful gourd. It was a hot day. It was a hot day. You know, sometimes we go out and we preach and, Man, I'm so thankful. One time we were preaching at a football game, and there was just a, your dad was there. We were, we were preaching in a little rain cloud right before it ended. It was so hot. A little rain cloud comes and just sprinkles us. Oh, it felt so good. It felt so good. You know, Jonah's out here, and God just gives him this little gourd, and it provides him shade, and he's just well protected, and then God destroys it. God destroys it. What's going on here? You know, whenever you're not following God's will, whenever you're not following God's command, whenever you're not walking in obedience to God, whenever God's mission is not your mission, there will be inevitably, there will be a gourd that will pop up in your life. It could be the gourd of a relationship you shouldn't be in. It could be the gourd of a ministry. Sometimes people make gourds out of ministry. I've seen people make gourds out of, out of ministry before. There was a time even in this church, I've seen people, they weren't on mission. They made, a, they made a gourd out of worship. How do you know? They would only come to church on the days they were singing. What's that? Well, I'm just going to sit under my gourd. This is my gourd. It's a good thing. God... Gave it to me. It's a good thing. Jonah's sitting under this gourd that God gave him. Why? Why? Because his heart wasn't where God's heart was anymore. I believe that there's a danger in the church world of gourds being raised up in the church. In people being able to prop themselves up under a gourd, prop themselves up under something God didn't give you. And you see these gourds there is when you begin to to love the lesser things. You know what a lesser thing is? Not God. Did you know that sometimes people make ministry a God? Sometimes people make worship a God. Sometimes people make denominations a God. Church titles, reverend, doctor, theologian, prophet, apostle, evangelist, teacher. Can we keep going? Are you done with your titles yet? Sometimes people can promote gourds. You know, we've got more business to do than have church. Having church is great. We need to have church. It's not the purpose why we're here. You know why you're here? You're here to point people to Jesus. You're here to go out into the highways and byways and compel the lost to come into Christ. You're here to be salts in the world today. You're here to stand out, not fit in. God has called you out of the world. And you see, Jonah lost mission. And he began to... Look what it says in verse number 6. It says, Jonah, in the very end sentence, Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd that it withered. Let me tell you this. if, If you start putting your love, if you start putting... Your devotion, if you start making ministry your primary thing, God will poke a hole in it. God will poke a hole in it. If if you begin to put emphasis on the wrong things, God will not allow that to stand. I want to tell you why. Because God is a jealous God for you. God bought you with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and he is a jealous God, and he will not allow a gourd to have your heart when your heart belongs to God. He bought you with a price, and he has a purpose for your life, and it's not to sit under a gourd, but it's to be his vessel. In the hour in which you live, God has called you to be like Esther. He raised you up for such a time as this. God's got a purpose for your life, and it is to testify that God is alive. God is good. And he commands all men everywhere to repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why we're here. This is why we're here. But the church has settled for gourds instead of God. The church world has settled for gourds instead of God. We've we've propped up men. We've propped up denominations. We've propped up this and we've propped up that. I want to tell you, God's not satisfied with a church that can get satisfied with the lesser things. God's not pleased when we get satisfied with lesser things. How's everything going in the church Oh, it's great. My ministry's doing this and my ministry's doing that. Are people coming to Christ? Are people being pointed to Christ? Are we pointing people to Christ? Are we telling people they need to repent? Sometimes even ministry can overtake the purpose of God. See, you, you have to have balance. I love what God's doing. We have several ministries that are beginning to flourish in this church, but I want you to know they can become a gourd. If God's not your first love, whatever it is, I've seen people make a gourd out of a boyfriend or girlfriend. I've seen people make a gourd out of a job. I've seen people make a gourd out of being on the worship team or teaching Sunday school. I've seen people make gourds out of all kinds of things. Part I want you to see in this verse number six, though, it says, Jonah was exceeding glad. See, this is where, this is the root in the issue of the matter. Rather than rejoice over souls, he was rejoicing over a gourd. Think about it. This is a man of God. A whole city repents. This is a man of God. A whole city repents. He's not happy till the gourd comes up. Do you know that there's a lot of people you could have somebody come to an altar? I'll tell you this. It happened today. We, our altars were slap full this morning. Inevitably, you're going to have one or two go, oh, And walk out the door. Why? Because they're not loving what God loves. They're not interested in people getting restored. They're not interested in repentance being made. They're not interested in the redeemed shaking off the dust and being who God has called them to be. And I want to tell you that that can happen to any one of us. The enemy is always at work, always on the prowl, trying to get you to put more rejoicing in gourds than in God. It says exceeding. I love the Bible. It says exceeding for a purpose because, you know, God doesn't say anything casually. He says the word exceeding for a reason. Oh, but God told Abraham, "I am your exceeding, great reward." Genesis 15, verse 1. "I am your exceeding great reward. you see what Jonah lost here was he lost the fact that God was his reward. Your inheritance is God. Your joy comes from God not gourds one of the things that we see inevitably in the in the church right now is we see people that are just yawning over a move of god turn with me to to, to the book of Luke chapter 15 Luke chapter 15 you can keep your finger there we're going to come back in just a second Luke chapter 15 And we're going to run down to verse number eight. The Pharisees were wondering why Jesus was always out there where the sinners were. I wonder why the church always stays inside the four walls. I wonder why the church always stays inside the four walls when Jesus never stayed inside the four walls. Do we need the four walls? Yeah. But that's not where we stay. We come, we get filled up and then we flow out. Verse eight. Jesus said, either what woman having 10 pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the city of Nineveh. How many souls were in there? If she lose one piece, does not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? And when she has found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. You see, the angels of God rejoice over one sinner. Jonah had a whole city turned upside down. Can I tell you something? If, if, if we get full of the Spirit of God and we begin to operate in the movement of God in this hour, we'll turn our city over to God. You've got precedence right there. The whole city of Nineveh repents. You get the right message with the right anointing, God will turn a city upside down. City after city after city that Paul went to, there was either a riot or a revival. They weren't singing Kumbaya for 500 hours. They were repenting and burning their books of magic. They were coming to the Lord. They were being filled with the Spirit of God. They were letting go of the lesser things and holding on to the greater thing. They were changed by the power of God. What you see here is that there's more rejoicing. There's all this rejoicing in heaven. When one, how about when a city comes? How about when your family comes? How about when your children come? Don't you know your children are precious in God's eyes? The greatest thing that we can give to our children is the word of God so that they can heed it and receive it and be born again. We watch them be born naturally. Let's watch them be born spiritually we've seen god move mountains and do miracles let's believe for the greater things let's believe god to save souls of our our siblings our brothers our sisters our aunt our uncle let's believe god for the greater things don't let a gourd sidetrack you from the greater thing which is god You see, whenever you begin to hear a message like this, I want you to know that inevitably the enemy is always at work in a church. Just like I told you, I've seen it and it grieves my spirit. But I've seen it before. Worship should be something that drives people to God. But I've seen people Pull up on that thing and they'll only come on the days they get to sing and they won't come to church on the days they can't sing and they've done made a gourd out of something that's supposed to glorify God and they've removed themselves from operating in the Spirit of God. The rejoicing that we're talking about here over one soul, how, how many of you believe that God still rejoices over souls? How many of you believe that there was rejoicing in heaven when you repented? Amen. 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 I, I I believe the Lord was probably like, finally. <laughs> finally he got it. But there was rejoicing nonetheless. But you know, this generation, I want you to know this generation, God's not satisfied with this generation being Nineveh and dying. God's not satisfied with these young kids not knowing Him. I want to tell you that that the devil's after this young generation. He's attacking them through sexual immorality. He's attacking them through lies in school, telling them that they came from primordial soup, that they've evolved from single cell things into what they are now. and that, they, that There's all of these lies being pressed down upon these children, and they're growing up not knowing God, not knowing God's ways. And that's where darkness comes in. And the, the, the enemy begins to, to, to destroy lives. But, you know, I, I want you to know God created each, every person. God created you. God's got a purpose for you. He loves you. And he's not willing that you perish. God's got a plan to save you, to redeem you, and to restore you. And God, like Esther, will use you to do a great work in this generation. You might say, man, this generation don't know what bathroom to use. We've got the church all split up. We've got 50,000 different denominations and yada, yada, yada. But you were born for such a time as this. God placed you here for a reason. And if you'll get on purpose for God and get on fire for God, God will use you just like he did Jonah. And you can speak a word to a whole nation, to a whole tribe, to a whole city. And God will turn that thing upside down because God Greater is He that's in you than he that is in this world. There's a greater power in the church of Jesus Christ today than is in this world. It is not hopeless when we've got God on the inside. It is not hopeless when we've got something greater in us. All they have... All they have is lesser things. We've got the greater thing. We've got the Holy Spirit. We've got the anointing of God. We've got the name above every name. We've got that anointing that destroys yokes. We've got the truth. We've got the light. We've got God on our side. What we need to do is we need to be his people in this hour and not allow gourds to sidetrack us. Don't settle for the lesser things, but go for the greater thing. See, this rejoicing that began to take place is what Jonah should have done. But God had to teach him a lesson. How many of you know, how many of you been around that mountain? God had to teach you a lesson. God had to teach you a lesson. Why? Why did God teach him a lesson? Well, we can learn from it, but why? Because God loves you. If God didn't love you, he wouldn't teach you a lesson. He loves you, so he's teaching you these things so that you can begin to walk in his will, so that you can begin to walk with him, so that you can come back into the sheepfold, so that you can begin to eat from that green grass. Beside the still waters so that you can begin to feel his peace and his presence in your life again. Why does he teach you lessons? Because he loves you. He chastises those whom he loves. Amen. I remember whenever I got saved and I heard the Lord chastise me, I thought, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm a child of God. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, I thank God for chastisement because it reminds me that he loves me. It's that gentle nudge from the good shepherd getting me back on the straight and narrow. There's times that we get off track. And if you'll hear the voice of the shepherd, he'll get you back to the straight and narrow path. And you see, God loved Jonah. God loved Nineveh, and God loved Jonah. A lot of people don't see this. Look, God loved both. This city and this religious goody two-shoes. I'll tell Jonah I'm sorry when I see him, right? But you know what I'm talking about. God loved them both. God wanted to save this rotten city. So, I mean, some of the things they did was ungodly. Just like some of the things we all did was ungodly. And just like some of the things that this world does is ungodly. We just preached to thousands of people at Mardi Gras. It's all ungodly. It's idolatry. It's planned sin. But God loves them. God calls them to repent, but if they won't heed it, they'll be destroyed in hell. But God loves them, each and every one. And I'm telling you this, God wants them. God wants them. God wants to save the atheists. God wants to save the agnostic. God wants to save the hard-hearted, the bitter, the one that's got church hurt. God wants to save the drunk, the drug addict, the racist. God wants to save the outcast, the downcast, the depressed. God wants to save them. But I believe the church is sitting under a gourd. God wants to save them. But the church would rather sit under a gourd then go for God. Do You know, whenever you begin to put something above God, it becomes an idol, right? Turn back with me to Jonah chapter 4. Have you seen people make idols out of silly things? I've seen people make idols out of ministry leaders. This ministry leader fell. Oh, I'm done with God now. People make idols out of silly things. There was a time in the, in the nation of Israel's life whenever uh, they, were, they were, like they always do, they were murmuring and complaining, and God sent fiery serpents into the camp. And God told Moses to, to make a brazen serpent, set him on a pole, and if anyone got bit, if they would just simply look at that, it, they would be healed. Healed which was a picture of Jesus on the cross. Jesus related that in John 3, 15. But what most people miss is that that serpent on the pole became an idol to the nation. They even gave it a name, Nahushton. See, they they began to look not to God, but to the thing. You see what I'm saying? They began to look not to God, but to the process. Not to God, but to the, to the avenue. Not to God, but to the thing. God's a jealous God. And he had to raise up a man of God to destroy that thing. And in the church world, people will find... Allurement from things that are lesser. I've seen people get more involved in crocheting than the things of God. I've seen people get more carried away with coloring, coloring books and the adult coloring books than the things of God. I've seen people get more involved with Bonanza. They can tell you who somebody is and who their cousin is and what episode so-and-so was in rather than tell you who, where Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is. You ask them who, who little Joe is, they know who little Joe is, but they don't know John. You start talking about little Joe, they light up like a tree. You start talking about the gospel of John, their eyes roll back in their head. When you when when you're not engaged in God's plan, when you're not engaged in God's mission, when you're not engaged in God's calling over your life, you will inevitably find allurement in lesser things. Lesser things. This gourd was a lesser thing. It wasn't naturally wrong there wasn't anything really wrong with the gourd but it's the the wrong thing was that jonah was exceedingly glad over that thing he found more joy in the gourd than over repentance you know there's many people in the church i'm going to tell you right now sometimes you just got to say it there's many people right now they're more excited over church folks worshiping in kentucky than somebody repenting in a no-name town in America. And I want you to know God is more interested in someone no-name town repenting than a thousand people rejoicing, amen, in a city in Kentucky. Now that's the truth. Is it a good thing that people rejoice in Kentucky? Definitely. Should we glorify God if 50,000 people go to Kentucky and worship God? Well, sure, but God's more glad when one sinner repents in Bozier City. God's more glad when one sinner repents in Tyler, Texas, which happened on Friday night, or Shreveport. God's more happy. We can't lose sight of this and get wrapped up in gourds. Because there's a greater mission at work. God's calling the church will make a gourd out of anything and all this worship that's going on in Kentucky before long if we don't watch out there's going to be a dvd or a cd made because somebody's going to make money off that thing it's a gourd it's a gourd repentance souls repenting is the goal Everything else is a gourd. But people getting right with God is why Jesus came. He said the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. That tells me everything else is a lesser thing. I love it when God heals my headache. It means a lot to me. I love it when my foot hurts and God heals my foot. I love it. I love it whenever I feel his presence. I love it when I feel his anointing. I love it. I can feel it in my hands. I can feel it in my feet, right? I love it. But God loves it more when one sinner repents. You don't have to to be in the camp of either or. You can go for both and. But you have to remember what the greater thing is. We live in dangerous times. The enemy knows his time is short. And I believe, I truly believe with all my heart that if you don't watch out, even things that appear good will become a gourd. You have to go back to the book and let God be God. Let his word be true and let that be the dividing line in your life. The greatest thing is souls repenting. We just read it in Luke 15. You can go look at it in Luke chapter 5, but Jesus said there's more rejoicing in heaven over one soul that repents. I don't know about you, but I would rather I would love to make heaven Just a rocking place. I mean, if, if, if you were able to be used by God to bring repentance, heaven would begin to sway. You can hear the chorus of heaven rejoicing, all the angels celebrating, and heaven just having this rejoicing going on. That's the desire of God's heart that none perish. Everything else, like I said, is a gourd. It says in verse number 7, God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd that it withered. This is the word I want you to hear today. Every lesser thing will wither. Every lesser thing will wither. Jesus said... uh, unless you build your house upon the rock, it will not stand. If you build your house on lesser things, it will wither. When the wind and the waves and the rain begin to push upon that house, it will collapse if it's built on a lesser thing. But if it's built on Jesus... If it's built on the rock of ages, if it's built on the Lord of glory, if it's built upon the Prince of Peace, if it's built upon the Spirit of truth, no matter how heavy the rain is, no matter how hard the wind blows, no matter how dark the night gets, that house will stand when it's built on the rock of Jesus Christ. If you begin to set your heart or your house on lesser things, it will wither. God is a jealous God. I've seen people care more about their pet ministry than the altar work in a church. I've seen people care more about being on the Sunday school teaching team or being on this team or that team or their pet ministry than caring about the work of God in, in causing people to repent. And I'm telling you, that starts with the church on its face before God. When you see how God moved in the book of Acts, He always moved when the church would come in and shut the world out and get on their face before God and pray for boldness to testify, and God would send down the rain. God hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. He still operates the same way. He's waiting on a people that'll cry out on their face for the power. God will send down the rain. And we, we see it going on. But I'm telling you right now, if, if, if you begin to, if you if you begin to settle for the lesser things, it will wither. It will wither. And you know what? God loves you so much that He causes it to wither. I want you to see that. Who caused this thing to wither? God did. God caused this thing to wither. God will not allow anything to stand when it rivals Him. Not even when it's something that provides shade for your head. God will not allow that thing to stand. He sent that worm to destroy what was rivaling the calling over Jonah's life. There's a calling on your life. And anything that rivals that calling is a gourd. And if you begin to love that gourd more than that calling on your life, God will send a worm to destroy it. You've got a calling. You, 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 you have to understand God redeemed you and left you here for a purpose. And it's not your talent that God needs. It's your emptiness. That he needs. If you'll come and be empty and humble and broken before God, he'll pour out his spirit upon you and he'll give you a gifting that comes from the spirit of God. You see, that's, God's waiting on you to empty yourself so that he can fill you with his spirit so that those gifts and those callings will begin to come forward He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that He gives the Spirit so that you can profit with all. There's a profiting that happens in the bride of Christ when the operating influence is the Holy Ghost. But if you're not on mission, you won't experience it. You see, this worm, God sent this worm and it destroyed that gourd, withered it. How many times in our life is God going to have to wither something? How many times in the church world is God going to have to wither things? Until we begin to make the main thing the main thing. The main thing. First thing is you need to know Jesus. You need to be saved. You have to be born by the Spirit of God. After you've been born again, you need to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. You can't do Christianity without the Holy Spirit. God sent the Holy Spirit for a purpose. If you can do Christianity without the Holy Ghost, you need to to write a book and send it to God. And tell Him why He was wrong. Because He sent the Holy Ghost to the church to empower the church to be the bride. And you need to know your calling. Until you get in in this vein, how many of you know what it's like to follow lesser things? How many of you know what it's like to to, to, to be disillusioned by lesser things? People will lie to you. People will manipulate you. You'll you'll end up on the wrong side of being used. Let down. Disillusioned. Can I tell you, this book will never disillusion you. This is the truth. Jesus said that his word would be a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. And many people sit in darkness because they will not yield to the word of God. Tonight. If you'll yield to God, I believe he'll give you a new purpose in life. And it's not to sit under no gourd. It's to go broke for God. There's a a generation that God's raising up right now. They don't care nothing about gourds. They want God. You know, I'm so thankful to live in the generation that we live in. Because I believe we're on the forefront of a move of God like we've never seen. But there's a breaking that has to happen. We have to break away from loving gourds, we have to break away from the lesser things captivating our hearts. The church has been captivated by lesser things for too long and what we've seen is a generation dying. We are watching a generation wither. We're watching a generation be destroyed because we're too fascinated with lesser things. Our ministry Our opinion, our thing, our agenda, and not God's. God's got a heart for this generation. If you're alive today, God's got a heart for you. And God's ready for the church to lay the lesser things down and go after the greater thing. Ask yourself, are you, is your, are you more exceeding glad over lesser things or over God? When people repent, there's more rejoicing in heaven than when 10,000 people have a worship concert in Kentucky. And if that causes you a problem, if you're like, well, pastor, that's 10,000, that's one. It's great that 10,000 people worship. We're not knocking that. More power to them. But God rejoices when a sinner repents. That's the greater. That's the greater. Tonight, I put before you the reason that so many things in our lives withers is because we've allowed gourds to overtake Our calling. Your calling, my calling, the church's calling, but we've allowed gourds to overtake that calling. And tonight I say, let's put away the lesser things and let God fill us with that greater thing so that we can say like Scripture says, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Everything other than Jesus is a lesser thing. Buildings are a lesser thing denominations are a lesser thing pastoral titles are a lesser thing books and DVDs are a lesser thing movements are lesser things Jesus is the greater thing let's lay aside the lesser things and seek after him tonight amen amen Lord we bless you tonight we thank you Lord for this opportunity to hear your word and your truth and God I pray Lord, that you would touch our hearts tonight. If you're here tonight, God's been speaking to you about lesser things and greater things. I want to pray with you. If you just slip your hand up for me, I want to pray with you. Just say, yes, that's me. Hallelujah. 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 Anybody else? Hallelujah. Anybody else? Hallelujah. Jesus we need you Lord I pray that every lesser thing will be cast down at your feet Lord just like that day in glory after we step on the other side when your saints will begin to cast down those crowns at your feet Lord, I pray right now that every child of God in this place would cast down the lesser things and hold to the greater thing. Oh God, that when the wind and the rain begins to drive upon our house, that that house will not fall when it's built on your rock. Oh, God, I pray tonight that those gifts and calling would begin to rise as the gourds begin to fall. Lord, let every lesser thing, let every gourd begin to fall right now. And, Lord, I pray that you would speak a word in due season. Holy Ghost, I pray, speak, Lord. Speak to your children. Let the gifts and the calling begin to rise in the bride of Christ tonight. Lord, we pray, God, that you would begin a new thing in us tonight. Have way. In Jesus name. If that's you tonight, I want you to come forward to these altars and ask the Lord to search your heart. If you've got a lesser thing, let it go. And if you want the greater thing, if you want the greater thing, I believe if you'll come to these altars and ask the Lord to speak to you, I believe he will tonight. In Jesus name.